Welcome to those who are watching online as well or on the podcast. Uh, we're going to continue in our short series for Advent called Emmanuel, which is made up of a few Hebrew words that mean God with us, Emmanuel. But Yvonne is going to read for us this morning from Luke chapter 1. Morning family, we're reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Father, as we open your word this morning and come to reflect on what you would have to say to us in it, uh, we're so grateful for the scriptures passed down to us, this account, uh, this collection of narratives that all form one narrative which tell us of your character, your nature, your heart for humanity and for us. So, Father, as we reflect on this song, this hymn of Mary, Lord, may our hearts be open to what it is that you would want to highlight for us, what it is that you would want to say. Open our ears to your voice, Holy Spirit. God, you are the God who is near to us. You are... Emmanuel, God with us, we are so grateful that you have come to be among us as one of us, to show us what you are like. So speak to us now, Lord. Come near to us. Reveal to us your heart that we may know you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was... uh, about 16, um, uh, a, a group of musicians came to my high school and, and, and played a song at one of our school assemblies. Um, it was a group from the lo- uh, a local youth group, a Christian group, played a Christian song, and, and I was really intrigued. I, I'd been to church for most of my life, and by that point I was starting to not go to church so much, saying, oh, I'm too busy with study, mum and dad, I think I'll stay home kind of thing. Um, but I was intrigued by this group and, and, and this, this song, and I thought, oh, I, I think I want to be on that band. That was, that was great music and Christian music. And, and I ended up going to their youth group um, and really lovely people and everything, but also found some young people who, who seemed to, to, to worship God in a, in a way that I'd never really seen before and experienced before. I ended up sort of beginning to join this youth group and soon after joined with them for um, a youth camp that they held as part of the group, and, uh, and on this camp we, we sung and had fun and um, he heard some teaching, but during one of the times of worship one evening, um, 
that one of the songs, the bridge of the song went like this. Um, How could it be that you were the one on the cross, lifted for all our shame? How could it be that the scars in your hands were for me, and you are the king of all? And, and, and when, that song was, when we were singing that song and, and when I heard those, those words, um, at one point I, I, in, in hearing those words and singing those words, I just felt the truth of them. And, and it was this experience of God just coming close and, and revealing his love to me in, in words like that. And um, it was an experience of the closeness and the presence of God that I'd never before had. Around the same time, I think shortly after, that with that same youth group, went along to a Christian youth event, like a conference thing, and I um, can't remember what the, the, guest, the speaker was talking about exactly, but I remember afterwards, after this particular session, um, leaning over the, the balcony at Challenge Stadium, as it was then called, and, and just praying that I would hear, I would hear God's voice, that, I would, that God would speak to me, that I would have a... a uh, that God personally would say something to me, that I would know he was really real and present in my life because of that. And I was praying fervently for this. I wanted this and didn't, nothing happened. And so I sort of said, okay, God, maybe now's not the right time. I'll, I'll just leave this with you. And at that moment, a friend came over and put his hand on my shoulder and my brother's shoulder who was standing next to us as well. And, and he prayed something, God, you love these guys, or you know, um, you're, they're precious to you or whatever. I don't remember exactly what it was. And, and in that, I felt like God was speaking to me in those words. So thank you, God, that you, you answered my prayer. You, you've come close to me. You've spoken to me personally. I share those stories because they were two experiences that were incredibly formative experiences for me. They were interactions with God that changed me, personal encounters with God. Um, and having those experiences, it changed me. It kind of catapulted my faith as a young Christian um, and, then, and then it kind of gave me a taste of the nature and heart of God that kept me, I guess, trusting in a God who wasn't just a theory anymore. This was somebody I could know. I didn't fully know him yet, still don't, but, but, but I, I, it was a personal interaction. As we come to the end of, of the year, um, so th- this is the last Sunday that I'll, I'll get to uh, be in the pulpit, a couple of others um, uh, speaking for us in the coming weeks. Um, but as we come to the end of the year, I've been reflecting on everything that we've looked at this year in Mark's Gospel, which we finished a few weeks ago. Um, everything that I've, I've shared from the front, and, and I've been asking myself, what's, what's really the most important thing? Like if everything else I've presented about this, this concept of like, being like Jesus, if everything else is forgotten, which probably has been forgotten by now, uh, what's the one thing to remember? Like, what, what's, if, if there was one thing that we took away, what would it be? And, and I guess there's, a, you know, it's hard to pick, but I, I, I think it's simply knowing God. That if we come away with a, this is the theory and the practicalities and what it means to be like Jesus and how we do this, and that, but don't come away knowing him, really knowing God personally, then it, all the rest is worthless. The God who comes near... The God who is with us, Emmanuel, came near so that we can get to know him. And, and knowing God evokes a response in us that transforms our life, transforms us on the inside. 
At the beginning of this year, I, I, I happened to be looking at it this week, um, the first sermon that I shared from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, and, and I said in that message, we have nothing to offer. We, the, the Billabong, us Christians in this place, we have absolutely nothing to offer anyone except what Jesus himself offers. Only what Jesus himself offers to others is what we have to give, and that is a relationship with his heavenly Father, with God. And so I was intrigued by Mary's song, sometimes called the Magnificat, Mary's hymn this week. I was intrigued by it because it's a response to two things that bring about a knowledge of God and knowing God. Uh, Her words, her song is a response to both a personal encounter with God, a personal interaction with God, her and God, and also a knowledge of God's interaction with humanity through history, throughout the ages. And we need both. One without the other is not a complete knowledge of who God is in our lives and, and in our lives as the family of humanity. This, this hymn, this Magnificat, Mary's Song, whatever you want to call that, it comes about following the visit from the angel Gabriel who spoke to Daniel centuries earlier, This angel who comes to tell her, the Lord is with you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Only a handful of spiritual giants in Mary's uh, faith tradition had ever had the Holy Spirit come upon them. You carry in your womb and raise God incarnate, the angel says. And so she's responding to this incredible, incredibly personal encounter with God, this God visiting her. But when I was 16 years old, which is probably about the age Mary was at this time, believe it or not. When, when I was 16 and had a, an experience of God's closeness, God's loving presence coming near to me, albeit not in the same way as he came to Mary, my response basically was something along the lines of, thank you, wow, I love you, God, and lots of happy tears. That was kind of my response. That's the language, that's the expression I had. But Mary's song of gratitude and adoration is a response to, to both her personal interaction with God and the interaction of God with humanity through the ages. Her song, these words we read today, are full of expression towards God that comes straight from the words of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Old Testament. So think about this. God chooses this teenage girl to be Jesus' mother to carry and to raise Emmanuel, God with us. And the backdrop of her response is the Bible. It, this, this, these scriptures, they give her the words, the language to adequately express praise to this God. Uh, she already knows the nature and the character and the heart of God before she has this personal visit, interaction from him. Here are the books of the Bible that she's drawing from in her hymn of praise. Hannah's song in 1 Samuel, she kind of echoes that. The Psalms, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, Ezra, Genesis, Isaiah. Some people will then say also Deuteronomy and various other books are also alluded to. The words from these scriptures are used in her language to express praise to God. This is the canon, which just means the collection of writings. This is the canon, the Old Testament scriptures, that Mary turns to from memory, from memory, 
to find language to give praise to God, the canon that has formed her knowledge of God's nature and character. And I recently heard someone pose this question. What is the canon, the, the, the narratives that is informing your view of God? It, because the reality is that there's this whole host of, of different narratives out there that paint God a certain way, that, that, that portray God in a certain light. Everything from shows on Netflix to, to sermon podcasts by your favourite preacher to commentaries from a certain political activist, whatever it might be, there's all these different stories and narratives that are saying God is like this, God is like this, God's heart is this, God's character is this, God's nature is this. So if you were to have an intensely personal and profound interaction with God right now, what language would you have to express your response of gratitude and adoration? What forms your knowledge of God? What canon, what, what narrative are you drawing on to express that? Is it a bit of this and a bit of that? Is it this preacher and that book, this political activist, that friend, this experience, that memory, and we kind of put it all together and go, I think that's what God is like. Or is it the, the account of salvation history that's given to us as the story of the true God, the one and only story of the true God? Mary was 15 or 16 years old, and, and this narrative, the Bible, had shaped her knowledge of God. How amazing is that? How amazing. The challenge that we have is that there's so many competing narratives. There's so many competing stories telling us this is what God is like. And so we need to, we need to let the, the right one inform us. Um, it means that the deeply uh, personal and intimate encounters we have with God they don't become the limit of our understanding of him. They don't become the limit of our relationship with him. There's just this emotional experience there and this time he spoke to me there. They don't become all there is to our knowledge of and relationship with God. They just give an assurance to us that the same God who has been present throughout history is with us too. The same God who spoke to Abraham and Moses and David and Esther and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and the prophets and the same God who came to them, but then also Mary and, and Jesus himself and, and, and Paul and Timothy and all those we read about. The same God, the same character, with the same character and the same nature interacts with us. The challenge that I find, though, is that is this question of, is it really possible to understand and to know God? I mean, isn't God kind of bigger than us? Isn't God beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension? Isn't God too mysterious? And this is where, at this time of year, this promise of Emmanuel, the promise that God has come to be with us, it begins to shift things from, We've heard about who God is, but now he's coming near and we can begin to know him, not just go, oh, God's mysterious and unknown to us. Mary, drawing on the words of, of Scripture to describe God and recognizing that in her pregnancy, so many of the promises of God are beginning to be fulfilled, so many of the promises. She then des she describes a God who can indeed be known. A so we can know the God who comes near not just know what it feels like when that God comes near, as we spoke about last week. 
And this God is a God who is transcendent and imminent, powerful and near the humble, righteous and merciful, holy and incarnate. This is not a full picture of who God is, but it is what Mary expresses in her song, in her words. And, and this sets her God, this sets our God apart from the God of any other ancient or modern narrative, any other story that will try to depict God. Our culture can't come to terms with a big, transcendent, powerful, righteous, holy, powerful God being one in the same as baby Jesus, humble, poor human. Our culture can't come to terms with that. It's like one or the other. And so the baby Jesus kind of gets dragged along into the common Christmas narratives of our day with Santa, reindeer, and family lunches, or whatever your Christmas narrative is. Baby Jesus just kind of gets dragged into that. But we, we have to let the real Christmas story inform us to tell us who God is, this God that we can know. And we begin to see him as he is, the God who wants to be known by us. Let's look at Mary's words. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. How could a transcendent God, a mighty one, also be imminent? How could the, the mighty one over all things have done something great for me? But this is the paradox, this is the tension or the both and of the, God, the true God of the Bible. Uh, some narratives depict God as all-powerful, but not close and personal. He's just a powerful God. Other narratives depict God as very relatable, like Bruce Almighty or Thor, but not mighty, not powerful, not all, not transcendent over all things, just more personal with flaws just like us. But the God Mary is singing about is transcendent and imminent. And as she quotes the prayer of Hannah from 1 Samuel and Psalms and how God's depicted in Genesis and all these places through the Old Testament, uh, this is a God who somehow mysteriously is also both powerful and near the humble, personally reaching out to the less than powerful. Now, this was the opposite of, again, of other gods in that context. Then it was if one of the Greek or Roman gods was a powerful god, uh, then he or she associated with the powerful, the rich. And so the king or the pharaoh or the monarch would, would be like God's representative on earth. But that powerful God was not also near the humble and the poor and the lowly. But this is the God who Mary sings of, opposite to the other narratives of the day. In this day and age, there are some deplorable theologies and branches of of quasi-Christianity that perpetuate a similar belief, that, that God is with the rich and the powerful, and if you're them, then you're close to God, and if you're not, you're far away from God. And yet this is not true. This is not the God we know. Powerful, yet near the humble, near the lowly, the poor. He's also a God whose mercy extends to those who fear him, is what Mary says. His mercy extends to those who fear him. See, Mary understood that this God was a righteous God, or another way of saying that in similar is a just God uh, who evoked 
a fear in unrighteous people because there is justice for wrongdoing. That's what it means to be a just God. And yet, this same God who is just and righteous also extends mercy to those who recognize that righteousness. There are plenty of ways that God is depicted, plenty of narratives that depict God as righteous, just the God who you're not good enough for. Um, and this happens both in the first century Jewish context and our context today. God is, be- God is bigger and we're insufficient for him. But the flip side of that, the other kind of narrative, is a God who is someone with no standard. He's not righteous. He's just he- he's on our level, loves you as you are, no desire for any kind of change because the righteousness, the justice doesn't, Demand that. And so we, we take a Bible verse like God is love and, and we turn it into a narrative that says God's not actually righteous, he's just loving. But that's not loving at all. Our righteous God, hear me here, our righteous God wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be like him. And it's not loving to leave us in our unrighteousness, tolerating our sin, Instead, through the shedding of blood, he extends to us the opportunity to enter into a covenant relationship with him, to be born again, to become righteous like him. That's an offer of mercy, the righteous God who offers mercy. That is love. That is a God of love. This is an understanding of God that comes for Mary from Genesis through Malachi and then continues and is fulfilled from Matthew through Revelation God who wants covenant relationship with those who created. He means he wants us to be one with him again. He wants us to be like him again. And that is the God of the Bible. Finally, Mary's praise is evoked from an understanding that the holy God, the holy God has come near to her. The holy God is imminent. Holy is his name. She says of the God who the angel says is with you now. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's come near. He's incarnate, near, present, but also holy. Now, how can this be? Because to be holy means completely different and distinct. And yet this holy God comes to, desires to be near to his people. It's a paradox. It's conflicting almost. Holy, different, set apart, but incarnate, near, like us. This is the God who Mary speaks about, the God that we worship, because his desire for us is to be holy like he is holy. This holy God doesn't want to separate himself so that we drift away into eternity with our unholiness, but he wants us to become like him. He doesn't give up his holiness. He brings us into his. One way that all of these things, transcendent but imminent, powerful but neither humble, righteous yet merciful, holy yet present or incarnate, that you might summarize this is the way Wayne Grudem puts it. He says, God is both infinite and personal. Infinite and personal. And I think this is why we need what Mary had which is a knowledge of his infiniteness. He's worked through all of time. As well as a personal experience of his presence. If you've been to this church for a while, you know that I'm not likely to to say that if we just know about God from the Bible, 
is involvement through history, that that is really enough to know him personally. It's not. To just live our faith and our relationship with God vicariously through another character is not enough. Neither are there a few camps or conference experiences or emotional times of God's presence and love coming near to you that are enough for our knowledge and our knowing God, our relationship with God. But what really captured me about this story of Mary's encounter with God from Luke chapter 1 was that her heartfelt response to a, it was her heartfelt response to a personal interaction with God, God coming near to her personally, the God that she was hungry for. And, and, and this hunger, it was shaped by a knowledge of the scriptures, but then this response was sparked. This song, this hymn was sparked by the fact that God had now visited her and come near to her. I want to ask you the question this morning, does the Bible make you pray, God, I want, to come, I want you to come near to me like you came near to them. God, I want to know you like they knew you, like those characters of the Bible knew you. If, if that's the, not the response that the Bible is, is bringing out in us, we may not be reading it right. You know, there was a time that... Um, I guess a while after being a 16-year-old, I, I think I thought that I'd graduated from 16-year-old me whose faith was based on a few emotional experiences of God showing me his love. I thought I'd graduated from that to student of the Bible who could even teach others what God was like. I'd, I'd, I'd gone to the next level sort of thing. That's what I thought. Now I realize that what the Bible really does is humbles me as I recognize there's a great cloud of witnesses who God has been coming near to and interacting with for millennia, century after century after century. And the the scriptures simply help me to join with that great family of people who are hungry to know God personally, to interact with him one-to-one, many-to-one in a personal, real way, to experience this God as being close, knowing him, not just knowing about him. And this is why I'm so keen that we create times of worship, including corporately, times of prayer, times of being together, for all the things that would get in the way of that relationship with God, for all the things that would get in the way of that closeness with God to be swept aside so that we can encounter him, so that we can hear his voice, so that we can be in his presence. And I think that when we do encounter God personally, one-to-one, there's something unique that that does. It transforms us on the inside. I'm not talking about retreating from our responsibilities of representing Jesus. I'm talking about being transformed on the inside so that we better know how to serve Jesus in the world. And I think that when we encounter God, there's, if, if I had to summarize it some way, it's an experience of these two things, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Mercy is the, the withholding of the judgment we deserve, not getting what we deserve. Grace is a gift of something we haven't earned or deserved. The story of God's interaction with humanity is this. It's mercy and it's grace. Mercy and and grace, and you and I need that same mercy and that same grace. And so just to finish today, and 
I guess for me, I've been praying this week and thinking this is, this is the end of a year, in a sense, for me of sharing, sharing my heart and encouraging us to connect with God that the last time I get to be in the pulpit and I, and I want to leave us with a way to just connect with God, to be in God's presence, to receive mercy and to receive grace. And so we're just going to listen to a song to finish today. Um, the words of this song will be on the screen. And um, my, my prayer is that you, you sense the closeness of God, the presence of God, that you begin to know him just that little bit more as you interact with him personally this morning um, as you listen to these words.